Well, good morning, everybody, on this chilly, chilly day in Florida. Uh, it's interesting. The southeast, I guess, got hit by snow. I have a relative that moved to North Carolina, and they sent us pictures this week and video of their kids uh, sledding down the driveway, which was just bizarre to me. Um, but we have entered into the season of Advent, as Robbie mentioned. Uh, it consists of the four Sundays before Christmas, and it represents this period of expectation and waiting for the birth of Jesus. Simply put, Advent reminds us that Christmas is coming. And let's be honest here, there is a lot to unpack before we get to the heart of Christmas. First of all, we have to navigate the overwhelming amount of consumerism connected to this season. Anybody here receive a few sales papers, special offers and emails in your inbox? Did you know that Americans this year will spend, on average, $600 billion at Christmas time? We are bombarded with advertisements stimulating us and warning us and needing us to spend more. Now what this leads to is it kind of leads to the fact that we feel obligated to give gifts. And uh, many times it leads us to give gifts that we feel obligated to give as well as gifts we receive that we never wanted and may never use. How many of you have someone in your family that you absolutely hate buying for? Anybody? I am that person in my family. People hate to buy for me. And one of the reasons is because when people ask me what I want, I can't think of anything. So it gets frustrating for them and frustrating for me, and they end up buying something I really don't want or need, and then I feel like I wasted a great opportunity to get something really good. <laughs> and then we have to, as a nation, overcome this aftermath of gift giving. In America, we call it debt. Now, don't raise your hands here, but I wonder how many people are still paying off Christmas from last year or maybe even the year before. In addition to that, studies show that people spend 20% more if they shop by credit card. Isn't that interesting? And we kind of get sucked into the cycle. And then we have, on top of that, busyness and stress. We have to hang lights. We have to pray for forgiveness after we say bad words when they don't work. We have to decorate a tree. We have to pull a tree out. We usually have to buy a new tree. We have to mail out Christmas cards, hope that we don't miss anyone. We have to cook food, all that food, hours and hours of cooking, followed by hours and hours of eating, followed by hours and hours of being depressed about how much we've gained. And then we have Christmas parties and company parties and church services and Christmas concerts and family gatherings and charity events. And after all of this is unpacked, we finally get to the reason for this season, Jesus. I want us to stop and think for a moment before we get any deeper into this Advent season. Of all the preparation that we have to do, there's probably nothing more important than getting our, our minds and our hearts right so that we can fully worship Jesus during this season. Christmas is coming. It's about two weeks away as of now. And this year, I want us to think about maybe approaching this Christmas a little differently. 
We're going to go back to Scripture and the story of Christmas, and I want to look at a quote, and this quote is really at the heart of what is behind Christmas in general. In fact, I think it really is the secret to making Christmas great, maybe even better than it's ever been. No matter what you have on your plate this year, no matter emotionally what you're dealing with, no matter circumstantially what you're dealing with, no matter what you're dealing with in your family or in your work life, there is something that could make Christmas just amazing. And I'm going to narrow it down to just one word. Okay? In fact, if you had to guess what that word would be, I wonder what you would say. What word is really at the heart of the Christmas story? I'm going to read it for you. It's a passage that we have heard our entire lives. The passage found in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's why this verse is so central to the Christmas story. What made the first Christmas so great was that God got to do what God does best. God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Giving is what love does. Giving is how love expresses itself. Giving is at the heart of love and therefore giving is at the heart of God. If you ask me what God is into, if you ask me what his heart is really all about, I would say that God is into giving. I really believe this is one thing that some people don't understand about our God. Our God has never been a taker. Our God really has only ever been a giver. For example, in the ancient world, in the ancient Mesopotamian culture, there were these myths and stories that would be told about the gods. And one of the myths was that they had created human beings to be kind of like their lackeys, their slaves, to give them food and to make up whatever the gods needed because, you know, the gods were only takers. And there was all these stories and myths floating around. And then we come to this amazing story in the book of Genesis. The people of Israel say that that's not God at all. That God is actually creative and that he's generous and that he creates with beauty and generosity and creativity. And after he does that, according to this group, this tribe, they say that God looks at mankind and says, here, take it, enjoy it, take care of it, be good stewards of it. It's very interesting, a totally different concept. Later on in the book of James in the New Testament, he would write and say, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, because really this is a matter of deception. People are deceived about the nature of God. They think God is a taker. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The key word here is the word every. He says, don't be deceived, not just good and perfect gifts. He says, every gift. Now, I wonder if you guys really believe this. I wonder if you really believe that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. See, it's interesting. God's generosity is not just lavish. It's not just creative. His generosity is continuous. 
It is ceaseless. It is unstoppable. The book of Lamentations reminds us, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's like God says every single day, hey, did you like that sunrise yesterday? Here's another. Did you like that food you ate yesterday for your body? Here's some more. Did you like that air that came into your lungs and helped you breathe? Take another breath. Here is beauty for your eyes and here is music for your ears. Here is strength for your needs. Here are friends for your heart. Here is a purpose for your day. Here are thoughts for your minds. It's like God just keeps giving and giving and giving. And what made that Christmas, the first Christmas, so awesome is that God finally got to give the best gift he's ever given. It's like he's been giving from the very beginning. But it's like he had this one gift that he'd been saving up for years. It's like he set a new record when Jesus comes. He's so excited about it. It's like God couldn't keep quiet about this gift. When I was a kid growing up, some of you may can relate to this. When I was really little, I got real excited one year about a present that my brother was getting for his birthday. And when it came time to open the presents at the birthday party, I just absolutely could not contain myself anymore. So when he picked up this one present, I just kind of blurted out in front of everybody, I know I can't tell you what it is because it's a secret, but it's a cap gun. A lot of you know when Jesus began his ministry because so many people had the wrong idea about the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to be a taker. Take power, take control, you know, take vengeance on his enemies. So Jesus at first could not even let them know he was the Messiah too early. So he had to kind of re-educate them. Sometimes you'll see in the Gospels that Jesus would heal someone. And he would say, now listen, don't go telling anybody what I did. He's got to do a little remedial education. It's what scholars call the messianic uh, secret. But when Jesus was born, when Jesus was born, it was like God was so excited. Like they had been anticipating that moment year after year and century after century and millennium after millennium. It was like God couldn't contain himself any longer. So he sends a whole sky full of angels. And the angels are like, hey, earth, I can't tell you what you're getting because it's a secret, but it's a savior. Because God is a giver. Now here's what makes this gift so amazing. He gives a Savior to people who needed it the most. And guess who that is? It's this word we like to avoid talking about these days. It's called sinners. Does anybody know who sinners are? Any guesses? I'll tell you. It's the person sitting next to you right now. And the person sitting next to them. He sends a Savior to sinners. Here's what makes this Christmas so awesome and will make this year so great. It will not be in the moments we create, all those will be amazing. It will not be in the feelings we experience, all those are awesome. It will not be how great the music is or how perfect the meal is and all that. What if, 
What if we were to get so filled up with the love of God that each of us were to become conduits of God's blessing to other people around us? People who are under-resourced, people who are hurting, people who don't have a lot of hope or peace this year. What if we were to notice What if we were to get filled, so filled with the love of God that we would actually see people like we had never seen them before and we were to pray for them and help them and listen to them and actively meet a need in their life? What if this year we had record levels of compassion? I'm talking about concrete, tangible things. What if we were to love the world so much that we were to give the very best that we had? And we're talking a little bit about this whole thing of an Advent conspiracy. Uh, We're talking about how to find another way to do Christmas. We're talking about how to pursue an alternative to the see more, want more, buy more, have more, shop more, wrap more, break more, get disappointed more, rushed, frenzied, stressed, insanity that Christmas has turned into. So this year, what if we were to spend less but we actually gave more. Now, I'm not talking about like a Scrooge-like attitude. I'm talking about like a Savior-like attitude. I'm going to invite you to join this conspiracy of kindness, this conspiracy of compassion. And if you do, here's the main thing I want you to understand. It will not just be good for people on the receiving end. It's going to be great for you and I also. This is one of the most profound teachings of Jesus. So deep that the writer of Acts, Dr. Luke, included it so we would know that Jesus actually taught it. We're going to put it on the screen right now. And I'm going to ask you if you would just to read this passage from Acts 20 with me. Okay, everyone together now. Ready? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the key word here to me is blessed. Jesus doesn't say it's just better to give. He doesn't say that you're just supposed to give. He doesn't just say God wants you to do it. He doesn't just say it is morally superior to give. He says it actually is more blessed to give. That word means it enriches, it enhances, it gives more life to you. What he's saying is, this is just the best way to live your life. Jesus kind of taught this on a regular basis. He says, there's two ways you can go through life. We're just going to kind of illustrate that now, if we could. Let's divide the room here into two halves. These two sections here and these two sections here. And these two sections to my left, I'm going to ask you if you would to just put your hands out like this. Okay, Just palms kind of flat. And this is going to kind of represent the giving posture. This is the posture, listen now, of letting go, of not holding on, of not clutching and grasping and clinging. This is what is called the life of the open hand. Now, if you would, just kind of hold your hands like that for just a couple minutes. This is what it is to be like God. Now, this side. These two sections. I want you to put your hands out, but I'd like you to do this. This is the taker side, unfortunately. 
Just kind of clutch your fingers and hold them tight. This is the picture of hoarding, of hanging on. Got to have it. This is the picture of mine, 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 mine. Now I want you to keep your hands like this. I want you guys to keep your hands like this. And I want you to look how this positions you relationally in the world. This side, your hands are ready to do whatever you need them to do. You can communicate caring. Maybe somebody sitting next to you that you love. So with that open hand, you may just want to put your arm around them or pat them on the back or maybe just squeeze their arm a little bit. Maybe you're next to a real attractive person and you need a date for the Christmas party this year. You're just kind of relationally, you know, can do whatever. Clutching side. How are you positioned? About really all you're good at right now is to punch somebody in the face. Okay? Don't do it, but just kind of let your hands go. Okay? Here's what Jesus says. It is more blessed to do this than to do this. It is just the best way to live. I was reading this week a study of young people, students in high school. They are below the reading level for their particular grade, so they assigned those students to two groups. One of the groups had to help tutor younger children, and the other group didn't do anything at all. No volunteering, no serving, nothing. And the students who ended up in the serving group get this, ended up being 12 times more likely to graduate from high school than the serving, than the non-serving group. Now again, listen, they were helping these kids, they weren't being helped. High school volunteers, the students who volunteered are less likely to drop out, less likely to be involved in substance abuse, less likely candidates for teenage pregnancy, more likely to graduate, more likely to vote, more likely to have a higher level of esteem, and more likely to go on to college. By the way, parents, one of the best ways you can serve your kid and your children is to make sure they have an opportunity to serve somebody else. That's why yesterday at Parker Street, it was just very heartwarming to see so many kids there with their moms and dads serving. It was a powerful, powerful way for moms and dads to teach their kids about giving. Not only that, but on the other end of the spectrum, listen, a study of older folks, some of them up in their 80s, found out that they volunteered with school children. They had a higher level of life satisfaction, a higher level of mental health, less illness, less loneliness, less depression, and a lower mortality rate than the people in their age group who did not serve. Literally, if you give your time and your heart, you're less likely to die, at least in the future, like near future. (laughs) So at every point of the spectrum, young, middle-aged, older, what Jesus says is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So here's what we're going to do this year. You guys have already done an amazing job giving food, giving gifts to the Parker Street kids. I know some of you are doing things privately, kind of, you know, covertly to help. But this year we want to challenge our church between now and Christmas. What if we gave like we'd never given before? 
Here's what we're going to ask you to do. This is just a challenge. You can take it or you can, you know, come up with your own or you can ignore it. I'm asking you to join Oasis in overwhelming some under-resourced, some needy people in various parts of our community and the world at large. Between now and Christmas, as soon as you can do this, sit down with your family and the challenge is to ask the family members to give up one significant gift that they would normally receive. Listen, I'm not saying don't give gifts. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying redirect at least one gift that you would normally have bought for each other and instead earmark that to specifically bless someone who needs to be blessed. They could be here in our community. They could be somewhere in the Lakeland community. They could be somewhere in the U.S. They could be somewhere overseas or in another part of the world. Anytime we give a message like this, somebody will say, yeah, but listen, Phil, I have the spiritual gift of shopping. How do I use it? <laughs> well, here's the great thing about it. This year you can still use it. But the way you use it will be infinitely more impactful than buying a new electronic item. I read this week about a woman. Her husband died of AIDS on the continent of Africa. She has several little children, just like a lot of you in this room have. She loves them. She feels the same way about those kids as you do about your kids. Unfortunately, they don't have as much. In some parts, they're even starving. So here's what happened. She was given a little loan to begin a little business. And this lady started making jewelry. And a compassion group, a relief group, an international group, put that jewelry on their website. And the most amazing thing began to happen. People began to support her by purchasing that jewelry. And suddenly, listen, she had the ability to put food on the table. And she started a fund so her kids could go to school. And then she actually paid back that loan so somebody else could receive assistance and be helped. And every time someone went to that website and clicked on it and bought her jewelry, another life was changed, another mouth was fed, another child was helped, another family was helped. And another person knew God so loved the world. Here's what I want to say to you. That is sanctified shopping. That's the theological term for that. So will you join the conspiracy? You can do this with your family. You can do this with your life group. You can do this with a group of friends. You could challenge people at your job, wherever. And say, listen, apart from what we get this year, apart from what emotional experience we may have, we'd like it to be a year when we could say it was more blessed to give than it was to receive. We'll close with this and we'll pray. I want to give you a picture of what the Taker Road leads to. This is a picture and a, an analogy that's been around for years, but it just really kind of tells the story so vividly. It's a story about how you catch a monkey. And the idea is that you get a monkey jar like this. Somebody's been looking at this jar the whole time wondering what in the world is going on here. 
This is a monkey jar. And what happens is you get a jar with kind of a narrow opening. You tie a string or kind of a hook to it. And then you put something in the bottom that a monkey wants, like a banana, an orange, or an iPhone. And then when the monkey comes and he reaches in, he can get his hand in, but he can't get his hand out because he's grasping whatever it is that's in the jar. And he can stand there all day long trying to get whatever it is out, but the only way he can get it out is let it go. And here's the deal. Supposedly, monkey will stand there forever. He will risk being caught, being put in captivity, being put in a cage, maybe even risk his very life rather than let go. Now you would think somebody would come along and say, Mr. Monkey, <laughs> let go of the banana. You would think that somewhere along the way they would have learned that freedom and to rejoin their tribe would be much better. Now what's interesting about this story is apparently in real life not one single monkey has ever actually been caught like this. And you know why? Because monkeys aren't that stupid. There's really only one species that's ever been caught like this. And that's a cat. <laughs> no, even cats aren't that dumb. Monkeys aren't that greedy. But there is a species that it works with, and it works really well. And if you drive around town, you will see a lot of monkey jars. And really, really bright people with their hand in the monkey jar. A guy comes to Jesus one time, very capable guy, rich young ruler, he's called. He says, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I know the blessed life, the good life? He says, I've been following the rules and leading a good, respectable, religious life. And Jesus says, you know, he says, one more thing. He says, take your hand out of the monkey jar. Take that stuff that your heart is all wrapped around that you're clutching on to. He said, just sell that stuff off. Give it to people who really need it. And then come and follow me. He says, just let go and let God get your hand out of the monkey jar. And the story says that the man walks away from Jesus very sad because he couldn't let go of what was in the jar. On the flip side, another guy comes to Jesus. This guy is desperate. He's not respectable at all. Known as a tax collector. And he's got tons of stuff. Buddy, when I say he has his hand in the monkey jar, he has it all the way to the bottom. Jesus gives him the same challenge, the same message. His name is Zacchaeus. And this incredible miracle happens because, listen to me, anytime a hand comes out of this jar, it's a miracle. Zacchaeus' heart, his mind gets changed. He starts thinking about where the monkey jar is getting him. He begins to have empathy for the people that he had swindled and cheated. And he actually, actually gives money plus some back to the people that he had been taking from. Zacchaeus says, I'm taking my hand out of this jar and I'm not 
putting it back in. Now, both of those guys would eventually get to the end of their lives. And one of them, theoretically, had gone through like this. And one of them had gone through the rest of their life like this. You tell me who had the more blessed life. So this morning, the message is, let's take our hand out of the monkey jar. And let's give in some generous even scary ways because when you do you will be saying God so loved the world that he gave let's pray Lord Jesus we have no response this morning we have no song to end with no video to walk us out all we have is this final moment when we get to consider taking our hand out of the jar long enough to look up and see how creative and how giving and how generous you are. And God, we want to be a reflection of that. We want to shine that into our world. Whether it's our family, our extended family, our neighbor, our co-worker, whether it's someone we've never met and will never meet on this side of eternity. I pray that this would be the season and these next 15 days that we would just say, you know what? I'm going to do what God does. I'm going to give. I'm going to meet tangible, practical needs. This is going to be the best Christmas ever. Help us do that, Father. Give us the courage. Give us the insight and the creativity. Put the people in our path that will be so obvious to us it would just be a no-brainer. <laughs> Speak to us in that way, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.